content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. Hey, everyone. It's Gene Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me today on Everyday Wealth. And can I just say happy holidays? Yeah, we are smack in the middle of the holiday season. It is a time that is traditionally spent gathering with family and friends, reflecting on the year gone by and eating and drinking and in my house baking, of course. But there is another time-honored tradition associated with the holidays, and that's one of giving, charitable giving. This is the time of year that I sit down, and I know many of you sit down, and not to be crass about it, well, I write checks, although they're not exactly checks anymore. But I think about the organizations that I support, the ones that are meaningful to my family, just like I know you have organizations that are meaningful to yours, and I make gifts. And I actually love that day because As we'll talk about later in the show, this sort of what they call pro-social behavior, doing things for others, feels really good. And, And here's the thing. America often gets a bad rap in other parts of the world when it comes to how generous we are. But a recent study has shown that Americans are actually some of the most generous people on the planet. The 2022 World Giving Index, which as the name implies, tracks giving participation and giving trends around the globe found that when it comes to industrialized nations, those that we might refer to as first world countries, the U.S. ranks right up at the top in terms of gifts of both time and money. According to this study, 37% of Americans have donated their time to a charitable cause. As many as 60% have donated money. And a whopping 80% of Americans report that they have helped out a complete stranger. But despite this predisposition for Americans to help others, the economic realities of the last year have made it a really tough time to be a charity, to be a charitable organization, and an even tougher time to be someone who depends on them. In its annual report on philanthropy, Giving USA reports that charitable donations actually fell in 2022. And this is significant because it is only the fourth time in the last four decades that year-over-year donations have dropped. The reason for the drop? Well, 
If you look at the last three times this happened, it's not all that hard to figure out. The first time it happened, 1987, the year in which we experienced Black Monday when the stock market registered its largest one-day loss, dropping nearly 23%. The next two times it happened, 2008 and 2009, a time that most of you will remember that we now refer to simply as the financial crisis. And So the pattern's pretty clear. We are more likely to see charitable donations drop in years of stock market volatility and uncertainty, which is exactly what we experienced in 2022. But to make matters worse this time around, we saw charitable donations drop at the same time that we saw inflation hit 40-year highs, and that increases the cost of basic services, food and housing, as well as the cost to provide those services that charities face. This is why charitable donations right now, they mean more than in previous years. And so if you have the resources and you want to help, this is a really good time to think about doing that and doing it strategically in a way that can reduce your taxes and maybe those that your future heirs will face, that is always a smart move. So we're going to dig into that today. And to help me begin our conversation, Andy Smith is here. You know him, of course. He's a wealth planner at Edelman Financial Engines. He is a regular here on the show. Andy, always good to see you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, Gene. Always good to be here. Before we get to the specifics, let's just define what we're talking about. When we say charitable giving, how does that fit into an overall giving strategy? Right. So let's just talk about what a charitable gift is. It's a donation to a qualified 501c3 nonprofit in exchange for which you get nothing in return. I mean, a gift's a gift, right? So a lot of people think of donations as just outright cash but it can come in a lot of different forms. It can come, you can donate property, you can donate investments, you can donate real estate. There's a lot of things that go into this concept of donating with that charitable gift. And you can support a wide array of causes with these donations. I, I, I remember being told on multiple occasions that there are more than a million charities. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot. Um, nonprofits work on almost anything that's important to you, um, at the local, the national, the global level. So it could be charitable organizations that work on providing or supporting food and housing, um, education, mental and physical health. There's animal welfare. There's environmental causes, um, arts. There's disaster relief. You have religious outreach. So again, There's a lot of different ways to compose this charitable gift. There's a lot of different places that can receive that charitable gift when you start talking about nonprofit organizations. Many people I know have organizations that they've always supported, your alma mater maybe, or a a cause that is aligned with an illness that impacts your family. But if you think that you want to give and you're not sure where the charities exist that line up with your particular mission or passion? What's the best way to go about finding them? 
I give people two options. Um, there's a great tool that I have a lot of people use. It's called Charity Navigator. It's this free access to data, tools, resources to help guide people as they start to think about what they want to do, uh, you know, with philanthropic outreach. So that's Charity Navigator. Um, the other great resource is your local Better Business Bureau. There's a lot of tools that the BBB, you know, offers in terms of just trying to figure out what the charity is, who runs it. Um, but it's, it's all tied to kind of those local BBBs. The IRS even has an online tool and they, you can use this to check and confirm the tax exempt status of that particular charity. So between Charity Navigator, your local BBB, and even the IRS, there's a lot of tools that you have access to as you start to figure out this giving plan. One of the misconceptions that I think a a lot of people have, and you touched on this a bit earlier, is that people think that when they make a gift, it is always going to be tax deductible, but that's not really the case, is it? That is not always the case. So for 2023, for cash charitable contributions, you can deduct 60%. For non-cash contributions, you can deduct 30% of your adjusted gross income. But you have to itemize your deductions in order to be able to deduct your donations. So for a lot of people, it's not the best option anymore because the standard deduction is just so high. So even if you don't usually itemize deductions, all is not lost. There are strategies that you can employ to kind of make the most of charitable giving and make the most of things from a tax perspective. Before we dig into those strategies, can we just spend another sec on the fact that itemizing doesn't always make sense these days. I mean, I think that's that's where people got lost, that when the tax laws changed in, in 2017, essentially what happened was that the standard deduction, which had been quite small, became really large. And so it didn't make sense for people to try to take these deductions anymore. And I think it's still a, a confusing point for people. It is a confusing point. And so one of the things that I try to go back to often is that every person's tax situation is different. Every person's charitable giving situation is different. And so you have these two differences and it's almost like you have to create a Venn diagram each year to figure out what you need to do when it comes to your particular tax return. There are some years where it makes sense to take the standard deduction. There are some years based on giving or how you bundle or batch charitable contributions, you may be able to itemize and it's great for you, but there's no one size fits all approach. There's no one size fits all approach, even for you when it comes to a year over year, you know, tax perspective with your filings. When you are talking about things like bundling or batching, you're talking strategically. Why do you think that we talk about charity in in terms of a strategy? I think I think to some people, strategy and charity in the same bucket feels maybe a little cold, maybe a little emotionless. Yeah. Um you know, is this something that we are supposed to separate or is there a real strategy where we can do well and do good at the same time? I think that you can do both. I think that you can do good for other people and have it, you know, inure to the good for your own personal situation. You got to remember, nobody's required to donate anything. So if you're giving to a charity, 
by nature of that gift, you're trying to do some good, right? You're trying to help somebody. But then you pull back and it would follow that the more that you can donate, the more good that you can do, the more outreach, you know, that you're able to do, the more people that you can help. So having this well thought out strategy, look, you're not doing things for one particular reason all the time, right? But if you are already keyed into this idea of helping people, it only makes sense to try to figure out how to get the most out of this for your particular situation. It just makes sense to try to maximize your charitable giving within your own financial picture. These are the conversations that I'm having with people. Not so much, oh my gosh, you're not donating. Why not? It's okay, this is great. You're donating, you have charitable causes. Let's figure out how to make the most of this for your particular situation. Well, and it it often has the ability to make the most of it for your particular situation, but actually to enable you to give more to the charity while actually having a similar impact on your own financial life. And that includes some of the strategies that help lower your tax liabilities because the more money that you keep, the more it has the potential to grow and hopefully fund future charitable giving. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in terms of, oh, okay, you know that you want to give a gift to this particular organization. There's two ways to do it, pre-tax or post-tax. But the idea is once you know that you want to give, let's just figure out the best way to do that with all the different strategies or with a lot of the different strategies that are available to you. So let's talk about some of the strategies. Let's start with one called a donor advised fund. I have one of these. This is how I make charitable gifts. Explain it. Sure. So a donor advised fund, DAF for short, it's a, it's an actual account, right? And it, it allows you to make donations. You invest the money, but then you're also able to make grants from that account to different charities that you choose over time. So the DAF is funded by your initial contribution. It could be cash. It could be stock. It could be private business interests. Uh, it could be real estate. But the idea is, is that with this donor advised fund, You can make a pretty large contribution and get the full deduction up to IRS limits when you file your taxes for that particular tax year. Now, one strategy is to create this donor advised fund and then you contribute assets to the account over time. And then you are able to kind of figure out, okay, this is my contribution schedule. This is my charitable giving schedule. And then you kind of bring these together. When you talk about bundling, when you talk about batching, it's the idea of, hey, maybe you're not giving every year, but you're giving more in different years. And like we talked about, some years you take the standard deduction, some years you itemize, but it's a, it's a, it's a way for you to kind of be very strategic and tactical about the money that you've put into this donor advised fund and then how you dole out these dollars to different charities, you know, over time. Ideally, the contributions are going to be of an amount that will allow you to itemize. And that allows you to take advantage of the charitable income tax deduction. Some years you're not, some years you are, but the idea is here's this tool that you can use for your particular situation. And just so we're clear on this, you take the full tax deduction in the year that you make that contribution. So you take it right away, not over time. That's correct. So once you've put the money in, what happens? So the donor advised fund allows you to choose how these contributions are going to be invested. So the assets are growing tax-free. You can contribute more 
at any time to the donor advised fund. Meanwhile, the donor advised fund, the DAF allows you to make grants on your own timetable to the different charities that you're choosing. So your donation is initially invested inside the DAF until you decide where to move it, right? And this could be years in the future. So this isn't something that has to happen immediately. You fund it, you invest it, and then over time you can figure out which charities are going to receive these grants. I actually love that they frame it in terms of grants because even if you're giving away, you know, relatively small amounts, it makes you feel like a philanthropist. It makes you feel like you're doing something special. And because the money in your donor advised fund grows or has grown because it's been invested, you get to give away. I sometimes feel I, Andy, I don't know if you hear this from your clients, but I sometimes feel like I'm giving away free money. It's a very unique opportunity. And so when it makes sense for people in their particular financial picture, it's a great option because of all the stuff that you're talking about, right? You're able to put money in, you're able to choose kind of who and when receives these dollars over time. But again, the the growth in the, the donor advised fund is tax-free. So when you're looking at this or when you're thinking about this for your particular situation, it's a great option if you want to plan to make your donation as part of your overall tax strategy. But you might need a little bit more time to decide who's going to get it. The donor advised fund is great because it allows you to kind of fund this, get it going, invest and grow over time. And then you can kind of figure out what happens down the road. It's also a great idea if you want to support a lot of causes and maybe simplify your giving. Um, with a donor advice fund, you've got that one contribution to report, but then you can choose different charities to receive the money over time. So planning support, uh, you might have non-cash assets. So remember the, the donor advice fund doesn't have to receive just cash. A lot of times we're working with um, appreciated assets Right. So the the client doesn't necessarily want to realize gains and pay taxes on that. They use these appreciated assets as the funding mechanism for the donor advised fund. And then, like you said, of just about the amounts, donor advised funds are great if you find yourself not always able to donate a lot or if you're not able to donate enough to make itemizing deductions worth it. So if you have the ability to do this, you can batch, you can bundle and make this a pretty strategic sort of part of your overall financial plan. So it's, it, it's not an end-all be-all tool, but it's a great tool for people to consider when they want to do these sorts of things. What's the not end-all be-all part of it? What are the drawbacks, if any? So the donor advice fund uh, sometimes charges fees. So you got to make sure it makes sense for you before you move forward. The disbursements of money from the donor advice fund, we talked about that, they're called grants. And so while you can choose to recommend grants to any public 501c3 organization, sometimes the, the donor advice fund has to approve them. So you no longer own or control the assets. You deduct the donor advised fund contribution when you fund the actual account, but you cannot also deduct the grants later. Um, and then also, if you establish a donor advised fund, you should name a beneficiary because something happens, we lose you. You want that donor advised fund to be able to continue to do things in your name uh, after we've lost you. 
Yeah. And I think it's a really great opportunity to talk to your children. If you want to raise givers and, and somebody really smart told me at one point, givers are not born. They are definitely raised. If you want to raise your children to be charitable givers, including them in your thought process about what you are doing with your donor advised fund and making them, you know, aware of what's going on and, and then naming them as as the beneficiaries is a really, really nice way to perpetuate that. We are going to take a really short break, but when we come back, we're going to take a look at another tax smart strategy for charitable giving, especially for those of you who might be currently taking or will soon be required to take required minimum distribution. So stick with us and we'll be right back. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second-guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. We are back. We're talking charitable giving strategies with our friend Andy Smith, a wealth planner at Edelman Financial Engines. Before the break, Andy, we were talking donor advised funds. We were talking overall charitable giving strategies. What are some other ways that people can donate that maximizes their dollars, but is also really tax efficient, keeps your tax picture in mind? Sure. We call them Qualified Charitable Deductions or QCDs. These are particularly useful strategies if you are already um, claiming or having to go through the required minimum distribution process out of your IRAs. You got to do it anyway in the eyes of the IRS, but the QCD allows you to give through that process. And for our listeners who don't know, the people who hold IRAs, individual retirement accounts, you're required to take RMDs each year beginning at age 73, even if you don't want or need that money. And those RMDs, they can push your total tax bracket up, sometimes even push you into a a higher tax bracket. And this is one way to solve that problem, right? It is. And so what you do with the QCD, basically you're you're doing what you got to do in the eyes of the IRS, but you're also able to give at the same time. So what happens is this qualified charitable deduction uh, or distribution allows people who are 70 and a half or older. So notice the discrepancy. The RMDs changed at a different rate age-wise, but if you're 70 and a half or older, you can take up to or donate up to $100,000 total each year to one or more charities. And you're directly moving these dollars from your IRA over to these charitable organizations. And if you are of RMD age, you are able to do this instead of or in, in, or in lieu of taking your required minimum distribution. So as you mentioned, 
It's a way for you to give, not necessarily push yourself into that higher tax bracket and also fulfill the obligations of these RMDs with the IRS. It also allows you to kind of bypass or prevent phase outs. So phase outs can limit or eliminate some of your tax deductions. Uh, you have the personal exemption, you have itemized deductions. Sometimes these bigger distributions out of the IRA can trigger uh, some higher taxes on social security. So with the QCD, you're able to do a lot of good and then also fulfill some tax requirements at the same time. Andy, this is a new term for me. What's a phase out? So a phase out basically is um, what happens you may not be eligible for the entire goodie, but you get part of the goodie based on how much you are over certain limits. So we see this, for example, with Roth contributions. Ah. With Roth contributions, you have to make below a certain amount. And if you make kind of over a certain amount, but not quite other amounts, you get this little gimme in terms of what is or is not allowable with these different contributions. Same thing with, you know, these, these pushes into higher tax brackets. It's something that you want to be aware of. It's not just like a, it's not binary. It's not on off. It's there are different kind of gradations along the way in terms of what you are or are not able to take advantage of from a tax perspective. Thank you for that. I, I had just never heard the term, but that's much clearer. Sure. When we look at QCDs, can you get tactical? What what are the mechanics? Sure. So when I'm in the meeting with clients, what we talk about is you have to take this required minimum distribution each year. We know what the December 31st value is. We know what your lifetime expectancy factor is. So we know that amount. Now, once you know that amount, you've got some options. You can either take it and pay federal and state income taxes, state income taxes if you're in a state that has state income taxes. So you can either take it for yourself or you can go through this QCD process and specify who you want to receive these dollars in lieu of the required minimum distribution. The idea is that it's moving directly from your IRA over to the charity. It never passes through your hands. So instead, the IRA custodian has all of the information about the receiving charity, you know, name, rank, serial number, tax identification number, address, you know, all of this stuff. And so sometimes they may send the check directly to the charity. And so those funds, remember, up to $100,000 total each year can be used and are used to offset your required minimum distribution. So the QCD itself can be made from traditional IRAs, inherited IRAs. If you have an old SEP, so that simplified employee pension plan, if you're no longer, you know, actively contributing to that, these accounts, right, this is what you have to draw from, but the IRS has given you the option. Do you want to take it yourself and do something with it? Or you still got to take it, but we can give it to these charities directly. So you're not paying taxes on it and they get that full amount. So it's kind of a win-win for, uh, for both sides. Who might want to do this? Who, who should be looking into this? If you don't want to plan for itemizing your deductions, so remember, QCDs are not included in your taxable income, so there's no itemization needed. So with that QCD, you basically remove the money from your income and you still are able to take that standard deduction. So those people, um, if you don't need the RMD money, right? So sometimes a lot of people are good with mailbox money. They've got great social security. They've got great pension. They may think one thing or, an, or another about giving more or paying more federal taxes. And so they want to give, they want to do something with that. They don't want to pay the penalties. 
right, for skipping the RMD. So these are a great way for people to take those dollars, get it directly to the charity, and they fulfill the obligations of the RMD. They don't need the money. And then they know that these charities get that full amount. So those people, um, maybe you want to make an annual charitable gift and you want the flexibility to choose different charities each time. Had a client meeting where they brought in this list and so they kept some of the charitable giving organizations. They changed some of the amounts and then they struck some of the last year's uh, organizations from that list. So you can be pretty flexible with the giving. There's an important caveat here, and like I kind of alluded to this before. Secure Act 2.0 changed the date at which you have to start required minimum distributions based on your birth year. So right now, um, it's 73, and that's the start age for required minimum distributions. For QCDs, you can be 70 and a half or older, and you can actually put that in. Just remember that anything that comes out of the QCD or anything that comes out of the IRA as a qualified charitable distribution, you cannot itemize this. This is not an itemized deduction. So it's not necessarily going to lower your taxes for that particular tax year, but it does remove the money from your retirement account tax-free and that can reduce your tax burden in future years once you start taking RMDs if you're in that little window, right, between 70 and a half and 73. Andy, is there a point at which you should be running a calculator or you run a calculator for your clients where you figure out if it's bottom line better to give the money outright and take the deduction because you can itemize or to give it out of your IRA as a qualified charitable distribution? Those are conversations I would have either with the client and then the client with the CPA or I'd talk directly with the CPA because, yeah, you got to figure out where's, you know, when is the juice worth the squeeze and when is the juice <laughs> not worth the squeeze, right? So you can get pretty tactical and think that you're Mr. and Mrs. Big Stuff and doing all this stuff and donor advised funds and QCDs and everything else. But if it's just a whole lot of work and it doesn't necessarily inure to your favor, one way or the other, then, you know, just try to simplify wherever you can. You want to do good. You want to kind of make this beneficial to you from a tax perspective. So, yeah, you got to figure out where is it, where are you going to get the most bang for your buck personally? And then you kind of transfer that, you know, back to the charitable giving. But yeah, people do that all the time. People should do that because you don't necessarily want to make it any more complicated than it, than it needs to be. Well, but it brings us back to the beginning. You need a strategy and Although you don't want to make it more complicated than it needs to be, it can be complex. Yeah. And so what happens is you you start thinking about kind of what a financial plan is, right? A financial plan is the investment, it's the taxes, it's the estate, it's insurance, it's all these things together. We're talking about another aspect of the financial plan, and it's that charitable giving. So the idea is that strategy needs to be part of your overall, oftentimes existing financial plan. And you realize that you have to tailor this for your unique situation. So you know what you want to do. Then you have to figure out how to do it. It's not necessarily a one size fits all approach to this. So the more integrated your plan is, the more effective that you can be with your investments and the more efficient that you can be with your taxes, both of which 
are going to be able to help you create more wealth potentially down the road. And so that can help you not only fund more and more charitable activities, but any other financial goals that are part of that existing financial plan. The idea is you have to be able to integrate all of these different parts into your overall financial strategy. And so it's, do you want to donate before year end? Do you want to sit down and create strategies for the coming year? How does this work within your overall plan? If you are working with an advisor, these are the things that your advisor should be talking about with you. If you need some help, call one of my colleagues at Edelman Financial Engines, 833-PLAN-EFE. This is what we do. We work through this. Everybody's situation is different. The idea is you call, you reach out, and you get some help because- you want to do good. Let's just figure out the best way to make that happen. And, you know, real quick, they sometimes do say that charity begins at home. I don't know who originally said that, but I know many people do say that. Right. And even though you won't get a tax deduction, you may want to think about gifting rather than giving. Correct. So for 2023, you can gift $17,000 to different individuals, right? If they've got a social security number, you're giving them $17,000. If you're married and you want to combine gifts to different people, theoretically, you know, you give 17, your spouse gives 17. There's lots of different ways to do that. So if you have children, grandchildren, anybody else, any other family member that may need some assistance here, a little bit of extra charity before the end of the year. Remember that 2023 number of 17,000. And um, it's a way for you to kind of bring that into your overall gifting strategy. Amazing advice, Andy, particularly helpful for this time of year. Thanks so much for being here and laying it out and giving me a vocabulary lesson while you're at it. Oh, absolutely. You're great. Thanks. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Stephen Post to the show. Dr. Post is Professor of Family Population and Preventative Medicine and Founding Director of the Center for Medical Humanities, Compassionate Care and Bioethics at Stony Brook University. He's written a couple of bestsellers, including The Hidden Gifts of Helping and Why Good Things Happen to Good People. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jean. It's a pleasure. So we were talking about the tactical elements of giving earlier in the show, but here and now I'd really like to dig into the benefits to the giver. Why is giving good for us? Oh, there are countless reasons, Jean, and I'll just begin with one. Uh, get your mind off the self and the problems of the self. And so it alleviates hostility bitterness, rumination, and a lot of the uh, stress-laden emotions that are associated with mental and physical illnesses. I mean, that's amazing that giving has such wide-ranging ramifications. How long do you get the benefit of giving? I mean, and how often do you have to do it in order to see this sort of stress reduction increase in well-being in your life? Well, that's a great question. The best study we have is a national survey of American adults asking them, did you volunteer? This was actually in the year 2009. We were asking them at the beginning of 2010, uh, did you volunteer over the last year? 41% of them said yes, they volunteered. Then how much had you volunteered? About 100 hours a year. And if you want to break that up, 
say, a couple of hours a week. So it's not a whole lot, but just enough to create what we call a shift effect in the literature. And that's uh, important because when people do that consistently over a six-week period, but then hopefully continue it on, they do uh, register an alleviation of stress, uh, an elevation of positive mood. Uh, they're more creative. They're more engaged with others. And so the benefits are considerable, but it does take, you, you know, some, some time. It's not just a, a one-off deal. People do talk about the helper's high. And that can occur in just one single episode of being helpful. But for something that's more long range and lasting and enduring, you want to stick with it for a bit. Does giving money or giving away stuff have the same impact as volunteering? You know, a uh, very complicated question. Yes, there are neurological studies from the National Institutes of Health and elsewhere about financial giving. And it does benefit people. So if you have in a laboratory a menu with a lot of line items of places that you could contribute to financially, the Alzheimer's Association, your alma mater, whatever it might be, and you check that box that interests you, a part of the brain lights up. It's called the meso, don't write this down, the meso, <laughs> mesolimbic pathway. It's a very deeply emotional part of the brain and it doles out a couple of the feel-good chemicals that are related to happiness. And so th there is that going on. But again, you know, it's a little more muted than face-to-face -face giving. It's still significant. And so I wouldn't rule it out. So interesting. You know, I've been, I've been reading the news, watching the news. It is a, it's a fraught time in the giving world. It's a fraught time in America, spurred in part, I think, by the situation in the Middle East. A lot of people have very complicated feelings about it. And it's rebounded on, on charities, particularly on universities, on colleges. For people who right now are struggling with supporting, say, their alma mater, what, what do you say to them? Well, I think they have to make the best decision that they can, given their uh, perspective. I mean, you have to follow your own moral compass, and I don't think they should just do carte blanche giving. I think they should be discerning. I think that is important. I think more broadly, you know, the time we live in is one of incredible polarization, divisiveness, and a lot of people are on edge, I find. They're emotionally on edge. And by the way, all these things we say about giving, it's not just the external act of giving. It's also being kind and emotionally engaged in that process. In fact, just giving itself will cause an emotional shift with repeated efforts. And so not everybody gives with this kind of effervescence, this sort of, you know, like, like a duck gets to water. It can take some time. But the more you can involve positive emotions, as in positive psychology, in giving and not just go through the motions uh, not just be doing this while you're running on empty, the better. And so I think that's part of the problem is that we're, we're so much lacking right now in inner peace. There's so much political division, so many concerns about what's going on in the world. But yeah, I, it, it, this is a good time to give financially to something that you find meaningful because it will help you overcome some of those um, ambivalencies. I want to just come back to something that you just touched on, that we're, we're doing this 
in part when we're running on empty and that may in fact be robbing us of some of the the psychological benefits that often come along for the ride when we give or when we volunteer for people who are looking to do it right who are looking to you know of course have an impact on the causes that we care about, but who also are thinking, you know, I'd like to feel a little better about myself and my place in the world. How do you get started? Well, there is a management technique here. Uh, This hospital I'm in, uh, Stony Brook, has an awful lot of volunteers from all age groups. And the first thing they do is they make a choice. So they get a, a book with about 200 pages in it, and every page has something unique that they could volunteer for in the institution on that given day. So they're making a choice. Giving people autonomy tends to keep them better engaged over time. Also, it's important, and the literature shows this, to be doing something that you find is suitable for your talents. So there is a sense of calling. You you know, you might be an accountant. You could have a lot of gifts in life. A lot of people would prefer to volunteer in areas where they have these capacities developed. But then again, there's a whole nother set, about half of them, who want to do just anything, something different than what I do at work. You know? Exactly. Whatever whatever it might be. And that can work too. But then another important feature, uh, again, this is taught in management schools from time to time, is debriefing. So a lot of people, when they get involved with volunteering, they say it's very important that they get together every two or three weeks, you know, locally and in a, in a restaurant at, at Starbucks, uh, maybe in the hospital cafeteria, and they talk about the meaning of their activities. And that, that allows you, first of all, to form deeper relationships around those higher ideals. They, they report that their friendships become deeper. So their friends aren't just the people they're hanging out with or partying with, but their friends are people who, are connected with this value system of kind giving, let's call it that, and they keep one another on track. So they're the best kind of friends to have. A little bit of accountability baked in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, there are tools to the trade. I've run adolescent volunteer programs in, in a variety of places, and you want to be really careful how you manage these things because you don't want people to be dropping away. And then they become jaded and lose interest. So there is a technique to keeping them involved at a high level. I've read a couple of books on giving in this sort of pro-social behavior. And often it's suggested that you keep a journal where you just write down three good things that you did or three good things that happened in a day and revisit those writings to remind yourself that the world can actually be a good place and that you're doing good in it. Do you agree with those suggestions? Does journaling help? Yeah. So the best journaling studies come out of University of California, Davis and Bob Emmons, who studied gratitude among adolescents. And they asked these young people to write down in a journal the three things that they've been most grateful for over the course of the prior week. They might just sit down for, say, a half an hour. But actually, that study made the New York Times Magazine section, for what it's worth. And uh, after a six-week period, that six-week window is interesting. There were some noticeable, measurable 
benefits emotionally and in terms of resilience, especially resilience, given the struggles and the challenges of life. And now there are many areas of challenge and we need all the resilience we can get. So I think keeping a journal is is important. And there's nothing like uh, journaling around contributing to, to the lives of others, uh, being helpful, finding meaning, uh, reflecting on the internal value of what you're doing. Um, it's not just that I uh, help flip pancakes on the corner, but I, I really enjoyed interacting with people and getting to know them on a new level. So journaling is important because it represents that sort of internal dimension of what you're doing. Dr. Stephen Post, happy holidays to you. Thank you so much for this terrific advice. Well, thank you for having me, Jean. It's a pleasure. I'd also like to thank Andy Smith for being here. As always, if you are looking to get the most out of your charitable giving, either this year or as part of your overall integrated wealth management plan, please give the folks at Edelman Financial Engines a call. One of their wealth planners can definitely help. And be sure to subscribe to Everyday Wealth wherever you stream your favorite podcasts or visit us at everydaywealth.com where all of our episodes are available to you. Thanks for listening and we'll talk soon. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.